Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Have you ever considered why people do the things they do, including yourself? Have you ever pondered why you react certain ways in certain situations? Have you ever asked the question, why, and truly, honestly, wanted to seek the answer? Our guest today spent much of his childhood asking and seeking the answer to questions such as these. Ultimately, he discovers something that many people, Christians included, may miss as they run the rat race of life. Corey Rosensky spent much of his childhood in the grip of poverty, isolation, and homelessness. He spent time wandering lonely mountain slopes with his dog, a walking stick, and a book. His passion for reading not just any book, but books written by Plato, Aristotle, icons like that sparked his imagination, but drove him to read more. He studied works by Freud, Plutarch, and C.S. Lewis, just to name a few. But then he discovered the ultimate works that introduced him to Jesus. Amen. Over the course of time, Corey discovered what he calls the five cravings of the soul that have applied to all of humanity through life and time. He says, God created these cravings within us for the purpose of drawing us towards a connection with him. Amen. Corey Rosinski is now an accomplished author, theologian, pastor, speaker. He's the author of a book that discusses these things titled The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul. He's joining us today all the way from the San Francisco Bay Area. Help me welcome to the program, Pastor Corey, Corey Rosinski. Corey, thank you so much for coming on the program today. I do appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. It is a great privilege to be here. What a great opportunity. Thank you for that. Amen. Now, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Corey Rosenke? Oh, man. Corey Rosenke is a sinner saved by grace. Hey, <laughs> Corey Rosenke, you know, yeah, God sent me. He, he happened to have me born in Canada. I'm, a, I'm born a country boy from Canada. Um, as you mentioned there, grew up in the mountains, grew up in poverty, um, left home when I was 14 years old um, and left home with a chip on my shoulder. I was going to prove to the world. I was going to prove to everyone that I was something. I was going to prove to myself that I was something. Um, and then I met Jesus and um, he showed me that I was um, less than I thought I was and more than I thought I was. <laughs> I, that I couldn't do it on my own. But boy, I, I have one who died in my place, a savior uh, who loves me, who walks beside me, um, who grows me. And um, yeah, w- one of those uh, walkings and those growings happened to be moving from from uh, the country of Canada in the in the hills um, to the thick of Silicon Valley, the opposite yeah. of the Bible Belt. And God said, "You're going to go here, and you're going to tell people about me." And yeah. so here I am. Uh, my wife and and family and I have been here for seven years. I am yeah. associate pastor at a church here in a, a city called Sunnyvale. And um, yeah, God is. Um, I'm. I used to miss the Bible Belt. Um, 
but now I've, I've realized that God has specifically called me to a hard place like this on purpose um, to shine his light and declare his truth. And, and uh, I'm just privileged to be here. I'm humbled every day that God chose someone like me to do this task and um, could have been anyone else. Um, and yet he's given me this opportunity. I'm just so thankful to be here serving him. Amen. Amen. Where at in Canada are you from? I was born in Alberta and then uh, moved to British Columbia and then back to Alberta where I met my wife. And um, that's where we started our family. And then from there, moved down here. Yes. Amen. Amen. So I don't hear the Canadian accent. Well, it's interesting. Some people hear it. I I think it's starting to disappear. It's been seven years. Uh, My Canadian friends um, have said, hey, you sound like an American now. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I don't uh, have feeling. <laughs> but all of my American friends say you sound like a Canadian, so I don't know what it is. I'm in the middle somewhere right now. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I I understand completely. You know, I got family in London, Ontario, mm. and that's you know where one side of the family hailed from. And uh, you know, I was born and raised up in Michigan. You know, right in Port Huron, which is just across the river from Sarnia, Ontario. And yeah. uh, you know, I. I get teased all the time because I say A. I say A all the time. You know, hey, that sounds pretty good, eh? <laughs> Stuff like that, right? And uh, you know, but when I go, you know, we lived a lot of time down south, so I have a little southern accent. Right. Spent yep. twenty years down in Texas, and you know, so I'll go home, and like I know what pop is because mm-hmm. nobody else knows what pop is, you know, anywhere right. else. But up there, you do. And you know, I'll be talking to them. They'll say, "You're not from around here, are you?" I said, yeah, I was born and raised here. You know, well, you don't sound like it. Down in Texas, they say, you ain't from around here, are you? Because they hear the, you know, like about, you know, when you say about stuff like that, you know. Yeah, "Yeah, but praise God, you know, I love my Canadian roots. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Pastor, I know we are a three-part being, no doubt about it, body, soul, and spirit. What role does the soul play? And in the interactions between the three parts. Right. Because that's the focus well, of your book. Yeah, that is the focus of my book. And really, you know, I think that it's a it's an important focus that we take nowadays. We we just think about this. We live in a world like of unprecedented prosperity, right? There's I, I often observe this. There's never been a time in the history of the world that mankind has had so much access to to opportunity, to freedom, to education, to leisure, to comfort to all these things. And yet every study shows that we are more unhappy than ever. Yeah. Right. We, and um, there's an old saying that goes, the loneliest moment in life or the darkest moment in life is experienced when you experience what you thought would bring you the ultimate and it has let you down. Yeah, that's true. And, and we look at our world around us today. And I think that is the effect we see. We were promised for generations, perhaps even back to biblical times, that if we would get just get to the top of that financial mountain, we would have joy and peace. If we would just get to the top of that sexual mountain or that intellectual mountain, we would discover joy and peace. And ours is the generation that has reached the summit of all these mountains and discovered there's nothing there. You know, it was a lie. And I believe that it has very much to do with the fact that we live in a world and in a culture that is obsessed with the brain and the body. The brain and the body, the satisfaction, the entertainment, the titillation of and the comforts of the brain and the body. And we've forgotten our souls. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten our what I call our non-biological selves. And um, because humanity has essentially forgotten what humanity is, we're looking for true. joy and peace in all the wrong places. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you see that every night on the news. You know, yeah. there is like, why would someone 
kill someone over something so simple as a parking place and stuff because right. they've lost their sense of humanity. Amen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think before we get into your book, let's lay a foundation first. Can you tell us how you discovered the proof that we as individuals actually have a soul? All right. Well, the, the fascinating thing about that is, is obviously we could talk about that in religious terms, but we don't have to. We could talk about this. I'm often on shows where they want, they want me to talk in a religious standpoint. So I'm happy to talk about it mathematically, historically, philosophically, scientifically even, right? <laughs> First off, we have the interesting idea of this. is that when it, Whenever someone asks me, what is the proof that we have souls? I always generally start by saying, you are your own best proof that you have a soul. And that is that like mankind, we have a, a longing, we have a hunger that reaches out, that that always seeks to reach beyond. And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis once said this, I found it profound. He said, he reminded us that cravings don't exist unless satisfaction for those cravings also exists. Mm. Right? And he uses several examples. He says, a baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. If there was never such a thing as food, we wouldn't feel hunger. The same is true with water. We wouldn't feel thirst if there was no such thing as water, right? Amen. There's Amen. there's sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. Cravings don't exist unless satisfaction for those cravings exist. And yet we as humanity don't just have biological cravings like the rest of the creatures of the earth, right? With the craving for food and shelter and sex and the hope to live another day so we can once again can food, food and water, sex, the hope to live another day, right? We... We have cravings that are non-biological. We crave justice, right? A craving that is totally impractical and totally kind of blows up the whole concept of, of evolution because there's no point behind that craving from a biological standpoint. Even more than that, we crave identity, right? The, the question of who am I? Why am I? Do I have purpose? Do I have, is there meaning to my existence? There's no other creature on earth that has these cravings. These are non-biological cravings and they prove the existence of our non-biological selves. Like I said, this isn't even a religious argument at this point. This is just a pure logic argument. And then we have a mathematical and historic argument. And that is simply this. I call it, I call it the evidence of um, uncoerced conclusion. And that is this virtually every culture in human history, right? Whether they were located in a jungle or in a desert or in the mountain or in the plain, right? Whether they built their houses out of buffalo hide or blocks of snow or rock or wood, whether they were hunter fishermen, right? Or, or farmers or, or, or gatherers, they all came to the same conclusion. And that is there is some part of us that exists beyond biology, that, that exists even beyond the demise of our brain and our body. Every culture came to the same conclusion. The knowledge of the soul was not evangelized like, like religion was. Everyone came to that same conclusion. When, when the English landed on the shores of North America, the Native Americans believed in a soul already. The English brought a religion, but they did not bring an awareness of the soul. Right When the Romans landed their legions north of the White Cliffs of Dover, you know, they themselves believed in the soul, but they came to a people who already believed in the soul, right? The continent of Africa, long before they were ever subject to outside influence or outside, you know, military force, they believed in a soul. And, and this is evidence we can't refute. If for, yeah. for all of humanity co to come to the same conclusion independently without evangelism, I mean, that is mathematical, that is historic, that is yeah. unprecedented um, evidence. I mean, if my son comes running into the room and says, hey, dad, did you hear that loud crash? And I didn't hear it. I'd be like, no, I didn't hear it. Maybe that didn't happen. Maybe it was just you. And then my wife comes in from the garden and says, 
hey, honey, did you hear that loud crash? I'm like, oh, two testimonies. They, they were in different places. They heard the same thing. Maybe this is true. And then there's a knock on my door and the neighbor comes in. Hey, did you guys hear that loud crash? I'm like, aha, <laughs> there must have been a loud crash because all these independent sources have come together saying the same thing without coercion, right? Um, multiply that by thousands of times. And that is true of the awareness of our soul. So when I often tell people that our knowledge of the, the knowledge of the soul is not a it's not a religious knowledge. It's not a religious statement. It is mathematical. It is scientific. It is logical. And interestingly enough, we now live in a world, unfortunately, that is so worried about AI. What if AI becomes self-aware and takes over the world? Meanwhile, the greater concern is that we as humanity, we as the real intelligence, have gone the opposite way. We have lost our self-awareness. We don't know what it means to be human anymore. And I believe when we look at the world around us and we see the chaos, we see the confusion, we see the bitterness, we see this, this anger even simmering below the surface. It is directly related to the fact that we have forgotten who we are. We have forgotten that we are body, mind, and soul. Two parts biological, one part non-biological. Amen. That is so true. In, in the beginning of your book, you pose a unique question to the reader. And I, I want to bring this out first and get your opinion as we start here. You share, we live in a time of unprecedented prosperity, but yet the collective emptiness is also unprecedented. How is this possible? Share with us your perspective on that. Right. Well, again, I believe that the reason for that is because, because we've forgotten who we are, because um, we have become obsessed over the brain and the body. Our two, like I said, our two cultural obsessions, we have forgotten the core of who we are. And in forgetting the core of who we are and not understanding our core selves, we don't even understand our own needs. And so there is this frustration. There is the world. They, they are predictably going to all the same old places. They're going to say, you need more money. More money is going to make you happy. You need more sex. More sex is going to make you happy. You need, you need to become a household name. People need to know your name. If you have fame and recognition, you will be happy. Um, and on and on we go. They keep kind of coming up with these these ideas that never work. I mean, society is full of people who had it all, right? And yet they despaired of life itself in many cases. Happiness is not in all these places. And so if we're going to find joy, if we're going to have find happiness, if we're going to find peace, we're going to have to understand our core selves and what it is our core selves are actually looking for. And this isn't just simply, I believe, a something to do with the world. It is with the church as well. I believe oftentimes that even as church members, we can sit in a service over and over again, hear about the goodness of God, hear about the greatness of God, and yet we still live lives pursuing the same empty thing, things Amen. the world is pursuing. Yeah. And that is why, you know, I, to be honest, there is not near as much of a, of a visual difference between a church member today you know, and um, a YCA, YMCA member today, right? And we, because even we as the church, as, as Christians have forgotten who we are because we've looked to Christ primarily, almost exclusively actually as a savior, yeah. which he is by the way, mm -hmm. but he is also our maker. And we were designed to find peace and hope in him. We are designed to live in a connection with our maker. And so yeah. this isn't just a world problem. This is a global problem. This is even a church problem today. We need to once again awaken to the fact that Jesus is more than my the savior of my soul. He is the lover of my soul. He is the the missing piece that my soul is longing to reconnect with. Yeah, amen. You know, you just said that, you know, this is not just, you know, 
a church problem. It's mm-hmm. not just a world problem. It's also an individual problem. Yes. All three. Yeah. You know, I watched a video on, uh, on your website, The Bad News of the Gospel. Explain mm-hmm. for us the meaning of the gospel explains the storm before the calm, which you shared yeah. in that video. I thought that was really good. Yeah. Well, my, my whole concept behind that is that the gospel presents reality. I mean, even in the church, again, I think we've forgotten what the gospel is. If you, if you ask three theologians what the gospel is, you'll probably get three different answers. Right? One of them is going to say the gospel is about the death and the resurrection of Christ. And they're right. Someone's going to say the, other, the gospel is about the coming kingdom of God. They're right. And the third one's going to say, you know, the gospel is about salvation by grace through faith. And they're right. They're all parts of the gospel. But in its greater sense, the gospel presents reality. And the reality is that we have fallen away from God. The reality is we cannot save ourselves. The reality is we are sinners. But the reality is also that God has sent a savior that can save us completely and utterly and make us whole. And so when I talk about the the storm before the calm, right? The the world kind of looks like, you know, um, they look at it in the reverse manner, but the storm before the calm means God says you have to face yourself. Before you can get to the good news, you have to come through the bad news. And the bad news is this, you aren't God. The bad news is this, you can't do it on your own. The bad news is in your flesh, you aren't good enough. You cannot climb this, walk through this life by yourself. But then once we have that experience of the bad news, the good news comes in. And Jesus says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have died and made satisfaction in your place. In connection with me, you are not only whole, but you are victorious. But in order to come to the good news, we have to get through the bad news. And the problem there was once upon a time in history past where the general populace understood that they were sinners. And so they were kind of more ready on a regular basis for the good news. The problem today, we live in a world that rejects the bad news. In mm-hmm. fact, they are yeah. offended by it. In fact, it will be the root of persecution against us because you Christians make us feel bad about ourselves is ultimately what, what they say. But when it comes right down to it, the bad news is you are a sinner. We, you need to realize this fact. And once you have, whoosh, the good news washes over you. Amen. But the, the bad news has to precede the good news. If we're not talking about the bad news, it's like this. It's like throwing a life preserver to someone who doesn't know they're drowning. They have to know they're drowning. Otherwise, they just get frustrated with you because you keep throwing life preservers at them. They need to know they're drowning. And that's the bad news. That's the storm. Right. And then once we once we are willing to face that storm, we come through to the good news and the calm of the gospel. Amen. The good news. Amen. I know you share, you know, that we as society, you know, seek fulfillment through you know, wealth and power mm-hmm. and fame, like you said. But what we discover is that the inner the inner sense of peace is missing. You know, it's always, you know, you you know, kind of like J.R. Ewing way back in the seventies, the you know. Business deal, business deal. Ah, we got the business deal. Okay, what's the next business deal? Business deal, business yeah. deal. You know, there's never a sense of, wait, you know, let's just rest. You know, it's always the next thing. We always need to get to the next thing, the next thing. Yeah. Why do we strive for these things? Why? Why is that? Right. Because we. Because peace and satisfaction is only experienced in connection with our Maker. And we see a world that is trying to find these experiences through sexualities, through financial, through through certain independences, right? And they're ultimately, like I said, they, they've forgotten who they are, so they're looking for peace in all the wrong places. 
And it's true. You, you have today, we see the two richest men in the world are also the two men who are leading the space race. <laughs> and it's interesting when you think about it, right? They literally have everything the world has to offer and it's not enough. And so they're looking to the stars, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that is true of all of us. It's like, we, we've been prompt. I often use this as an example. You know, when I remember when I was a kid and I was making $12 an hour, and I remember thinking if I could just make $15 an hour, oh man, joy and happiness would be mine. <laughs> and then I made yeah. $15 an hour and suddenly I changed the metric, right? Okay. There's not happiness here. It's gotta be 20, 20 is the number. If I can make $20 an hour. And of course that metric just kept changing throughout all the years, just like it does for for these people that we look to and we wish we were them, right? And yet they are unhappy individuals. They're like, if I have a million dollars, I'm a millionaire. I'm going to be happy. Yeah. Oh no! Now I need a hundred million. Now I need a billion. Now in today's world, billion is a billion dollars is a small change for these yeah. really rich guys, right? Yeah. And it just keeps going on and on and on. You see the same thing with with actors, even right? It's like they're they work hard. They finally get their hit movie, and they're like, wow, I'm famous. I must be happy. No, I'm not happiness. I need to get. An, I need to do another movie. Oh, I'm famous. I got money. I'm going to be happy. And you see these people progress. They get more fame. They get more money. And then all of a sudden they realize, you know what? Happiness isn't an acting. I guess, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become an advocate for something. I'm going to become a, a loud voice for the environment or for whatever thing they're choosing, or I'm going to move into politics. They're just constantly trying. Yeah. They thought happiness would exist somewhere and they got there and found it to be an empty place. Yeah. And yeah. that will continue to happen. Until we remember we are three-part beings, body, mind, and soul. And we can't just cater to the body. We can't just cater to the mind. We have to feed the soul. And that's why I wrote this book, The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the Five Cravings of Your Soul. Because when you understand the cravings of your soul, you understand who you are. When you understand who you are, you understand what you're looking for. And when you know what you're looking for, you have a better chance of finding it. Amen. Amen. You know, before we get into the the book, I want to just reiterate something you just said, you know, they're always the, the people are always chasing the next thing, the next thing, the mm-hmm. next thing, and and you know we went out when we were out in California, gosh, twenty years ago, I guess it was, uh, La Jolla, California. We, yeah. we were doing a wedding out there. That was the first wedding I ever did was in La Jolla, California, and uh, but we were driving around and you know see all these mansions and you mm-hmm. know all that and say, man, I wish we could live there. You know, and I told my daughter, she said that, and I told her, think about the movie stars. You know, everyone says, oh, I wish I could live there. It'd be so great, you know. But to them, see, the gate, that's not to keep people out. It's keeping them in mm-hmm. because they can't go to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee. Right. They can't go to the grocery store just to run in and grab something and come back out. Right. They got to put on disguises and all this other stuff so they're not bothered. You know, right. so they are now in a prison of their yeah. own making. That's why right. they turn to drugs and alcohol and all this stuff, you know, yeah. because they achieved what they thought was going to make them happy. Yeah. And instead, there's no happiness there. Right. You know, and, they got and, people and, all around them, but they're so lonely and isolated. Yeah. And the sad part is, is rather than coming to a full realization of this and saying, wow, I need to look in a totally different place. Um we tend not to do what we, what we tend to say is, you know what? It's not, it's, we keep our eyes on the same place. We say, I just need more. Mm -hmm. Right. So rather than saying, Oh my goodness, I I realized that a hundred million dollars isn't going to make me happy. Instead that, that, that fallen human instinct is to say, you know what I need? I need $200 million. Mm -hmm. 
right? Someone's like, rather than, rather than finding the joy in the bride of our youth, what we say is, you know, what I really need is a new wife. You know, what, what I really need is I need this other thing. We keep pursuing the same, we're, we're so uncreative. We keep pursuing the same fallacies. We just expect more of them to bring us peace. And it never does. Amen. Let's get into the meat of the situation here. You've sure. identified five cravings of the soul as yes. security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. You also relate these five cravings as being demonstrated in the Garden of Eden. And I believe mm. that gives us a clear understanding of the point you're trying to make. Can you elaborate on that for our, us in the audience to so they'll be able to see what it is you're talking about in your book? Sure. Well, the Garden of Eden is a classic example because it's it's the original it's, it's the original kickoff of this whole thing where mankind was created in the image of God. And when, when we think of the Garden of Eden, we always think of the Garden of Eden as this place of, of tranquility, of perfection. It's the Garden of Eden. Of course, this is pre-serpent, right? Mankind was living. There was, there was um, they had total security. They, they had total identity. They had total independence. I love that passage where it says, you know, God would bring the animals to to Adam and whatever he named them, that's what it was. Like God wasn't micromanaging. They were they were allowed to steward and govern and rule over the earth. Um, they had significance. They were the crown jewel of creation. They had innocence, right? Sin had not yet entered the world, right? And then the serpent enters the picture. And the serpent does what the serpent always does. He's, he hasn't changed one iota. It's always the same message. He says to them, did God really say, right? Can you really trust God? And then he even goes on further to say that, that God's motives in this are impure. He's concerned that if you get smart enough, you know, it's going to be bad for him, right? So what does he do? He calls into question that their security and their identity in God himself. And he promises them unique independence and significance. He says, you will be like God, right? So Adam and Eve exchange real security and identity for a phony sense of independence and significance and in so doing, they sin and they lose their innocence. It all comes crashing down, right? Because those are the five cravings of the soul in a nutshell. And of course, in the book, I go in depth into them. There are security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. These are the cravings that have driven every person in history to do everything we have ever done. And they aren't just psychological. They aren't just biological. They are in the soul. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. What a time for today's portion of this great interview with Corey Rosinski is we've been discussing the magnetic heart of God. And specifically, we've been getting into the, the five cravings of the soul, which, you know, security, identity, independence, significance, and innocence. And if you missed any of, uh, of what we've just been talking about, you need to go listen again because it is so important for you to understand what your soul craves. Your soul is what is desiring to be closer to God. Your soul wants to make you one with the Lord and, and reach out to your Heavenly Father and, and fellowship with Him. And that's what Corey's been sharing with us. Amen? And, and oh, I just can't recommend his book enough. You need to drop down the show notes. Click the link right there. Get his book, The Magnetic Heart of God, Understanding the five cravings of the soul. But the good news is, this is just part one. We're coming back to finish this great interview tomorrow. So you need to be sure that you get this very next episode too because I'm excited about because I know what we're going to talk about. Praise God. Don't show it down when I'm preaching good. Amen. Till then, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.